Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Edmund the First. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Welcome to another Rex Factor. <clears throat> Indeed. Uh, this week... Uh, oh, go on, no. You were I, I, no, I, forth. I was, was going to say, go on. Okay. <laughs> Edwin the First. Because uh, to catch up with where we were, we've just done Athelstan, who was sort of third in line from Alfred, Edward the Elder, Athelstan. They've all been building up gradually from threatened by the Vikings completely to actually starting to dominate the whole of England. And Athelstan is pretty much consolidated this actual England. With a re- he, and he achieved Rex Factor. And a Rex Factor. Yeah. He is king of England. That's quite a big kingdom that he's now left. Britain. Well, he is Britain in a way, but it's essentially he's properly ruling the English bit, mm. but the British bit is still subservient. Is. But that's mm. quite a big inheritance for someone to uh, take on. Yeah. Edmund the first is uh, the first of the six boy kings, as they're known. Six in a row who are all very young when they take over. That uh, implies that perhaps he wasn't up to the job. Um, well, it's more about age, I think, necessarily, okay. rather than uh, right. ability. Although, of course, that's what we're going to be judging. Okay. So I've got the card here. Number four, Four of Diamonds. He's, um, again, crown. He looks He looks the business. We should get these up on um, online if there's not any horrible... Scan them. Yeah, if there's not any horrible copyright issues. Which there <laughs> almost certainly will be. But, mm. of course, we thank... Um, Heritage Playing Card Company. Thank you. All that you do for us. Yeah. I'm not sure what the thing with this image is, because he looks... How old would you say he looks there? 50. 45. 40. Without giving anything away too soon, that's not an age that he reaches. Yeah, you see... So I think he... they haven't done their research on that one. I think they've just done a generic Saxonish king. But he looks pretty kingly. He so... does look kingly, yeah. and he is a king. Mm. Uh, so, his biography then. He was uh, born in 922. Mm-hmm. And because we remember Athelstan didn't have any children of his own, and he'd agreed not to, to make uh, sort of an agreed... Succession. So, actually, Edmund is another son of Edward the Elder. Yeah. So he's yep. born from his third uh, wife, or second, depending on whether you count his first one, and to a woman called Eid Gifu of Kent, who's quite an important woman. We'll talk about her later. As I say, he's the first of six boy kings, and also known as Edmund the Magnificent. Wicked. Ed- Edmund the Elder, which would have been very confusing, given yeah. his dad was Edward the Elder. Yeah. And Edmund the Deed Doer. Oh, that's lame. And it's a bit rough. <laughs> oh, God. Poor guy. Stick just, with the Magnificent. We're just calling him Edmund I, and he is thus our first first. Mm. But first first of the Saxons, because we, we're wiping the slate clean from the Normans, presumably. Is there is there a first now that there's a second of after William, William I? Um, no. Mm. I don't think so, no. They wanted to wipe that no, that's a good point. all out. Okay. Yeah. But he's, he still is our first first. He is our first first. Okay. Um, earlier, so we don't know too much about him, actually. There isn't too much information, but he was brought up at Athelstan's court, and he was very much seen as the heir mm. of Athelstan, so that they wanted that easy succession. And indeed, he fought alongside him at Brunenburg, which is the massive battle. Yeah, the Middle-earth, Battle of Middle-earth. Yeah, yeah so he's, he's got himself a bit of a reputation. But then Athelstan dies... And what we've seen before is that whenever anybody dies, there's then this massive struggle for the next year or so about who takes over as the next king. And Nick, a friend of ours, was asking how the succession actually works. 
mm -hmm. what rules there are, yeah. what is in place now. Because you're saying it'd be quite cool that everybody should know where they are in the line. Mm -hmm. So we should all have a number. So like you and I should know how many people have to snuff it before we can become king. Then we could we could work out the um the uh how much um you know this hands movements don't work do they? <laughs> how much dodginess goes on if if you know if he's number two mm. sneaky yeah get him in the side yeah. but so for the modern succession the monarchy website lists thirty eight people that are officially really in it but Wikipedia's got th who's the thirty eighth oh I can't remember it's not one I've heard of no he's probably working Dixon's <laughs> <laughs> but Wikipedia lists 1,789 people really it's got that list and unfortunately we're not on it really yeah I know I, I'd expect to know someone in that list I know but I'd, I certainly didn't recognise <laughs> well I recognise some names obviously but none yeah. that I knew closely but the rules are person almost uh, always followed by his or her own legitimate descendants and birth order and gender matter, so older sons and their lines come before younger sons and their lines, and that all becomes before daughters. Is that so still even the now, case? Though? Even now, daughters, even if they're older, will be kicked out by the younger <laughs> son. Ridiculous. It is. And also still, the monarch must be a Protestant at the time of accession and enter into communion with the Church of England. So if they're Roman Catholic, become Roman Catholic, or marry a Roman Catholic, they're permanently excluded. Wow. Still. That's a, I'd imagine some changes when Charles comes along. Oh, because he wants to be a defender of all the faiths. I know. I sort of a, wouldn't quite chime. No, but I think that's a really, uh, that's a really positive thing to do. I think it might, well, gives them a bit more legitimacy and a bit more relevance. And of course, this wouldn't work at all for the Saxons because they're they were all Catholics at this time. They're a very alien. Of course, yeah, for them. yeah. However, for them, there's the general primogeniture, which is the, the oldest son. But as we see, that isn't guaranteed. But oddly. Uh, Edmund, actually, there's no succession dispute whatsoever. He just goes straight in, he's the acknowledged heir, everyone accepts it. Kim Jong um. <laughs> he just goes straight in. And he'd, uh, one source has written saying, No other adult male of the West Saxon house was ever given such prominence before his accession. Yeah. So he's, he has a very easy accession, so he just, he just goes straight in. Right. He's king. Pops. Good stuff. And he's, because I said he's 92, so it's 939 Athelstan dies, so he's 17. Okay. When he becomes yeah. king, hence. A boy king. Yeah. However, he does have a few difficulties, namely in the form of Olaf Guthlifsson. Oh, I've heard of him. Have you? Yeah. Are you sure? It might have been through you. <laughs> Are you thinking of Olaf Tryggvason, who was the Viking leader in the Battle of Malden? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Olaf is a popular name. This is the, the thing with the Vikings. They do right. make a good Olaf. Yeah. And, and we've covered that before, I think. Anyway, maybe you have heard of him. I'm doing you a disservice. You've probably done your research. I, I, That's where it's popped up, isn't it? It could be, but I don't know anything about Saxon, so I and I haven't done any research. Um, so carry on. I'll, I'll see if I know about him. Yeah. Any, any bells ringing? Yeah. Um, he was a Viking king of Dublin. There it is. Yeah, yeah, that's what you were going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And what he wanted to do was recreate this sort of York Dublin Viking axis because Dublin's pretty much ruled by Vikings at this stage, and the North also was the stronghold, and obviously Jorvik, York was as well, but Athelstan has kind of removed that. But now that Athelstan's dead, Olaf thinks, hey, there's a bit of a chance here. The guy that's king's only 17, he's just come in. I might uh, have a little bit of this. So, so between 939 and 940, he just storms into Northumbria, takes York without a fight. as a bit of a setback at uh, Tamworth, which was Ethel fled, a Saxon warrior right. queen. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah, the yeah, yeah. But he still, he still wins that as well after hard fighting. He's and from Dublin? 
No, he's um, he's a double a king in Dublin, but he's a Viking essentially. So the Vikings sort of rule Dublin yeah. in the way that they ruled. I know well. it's just a strange way in. He wasn't in Dublin. He didn't cross the sea as such. Oh he's, right, yeah, he went around Scotland to. He was at Brunanburh and one right. of the surviving okay. kings who's on the losing side. Mm. But when Athelstan dies, he just thinks, I'm just going to take a chance and take mm. back all that land that I tried to take a couple of years ago. Mm. And he does it, and he Good takes idea. everyone by surprise. Um, he's eventually hemmed in when Edmund manages to get an army together at Leicester. But uh, a little embarrassingly, they, they surround him in Leicester, surround his army, surround the city and besiege him. But he slips out unseen, <laughs> and uh, they, they aren't able to capture him. Um, but then he decides he's got a pretty strong position now. He's taken all of the north, pretty much. So they go into a sort of a peace treaty. So it's Edmund and his Archbishop of Canterbury, Oda the Severe, on one side, and then Olaf and the Archbishop of York, who's a chap called Wolfstan, who's got a bit of a North independence complex, which we'll see again a little bit later. And they thrash this out a bit, and it, effectively they split the kingdom in half, either side of somewhere called Watling Street, Right. Which maybe isn't quite as prominent now as perhaps it was at the time. <laughs> well, I, I think you should apologise to residents residen- of Watling I apologise to residents of Watling Street if it is in fact still there. <laughs> Very old street yeah. if it is. So Olaf takes uh, the five boroughs, which are Leicester, Lincolnshire, Nottinghamshire, Derby and Stamford, which are big, important places. Mm. Um, and obviously he's got York as well. And everything south of that is taken by Edmund. So basically all this land which Edward the Elder and Ethelfeda had won and Alfred, to a certain extent, has all just gone in one lightning campaign to this Viking chap. Who is this upstart? Guthr- Olaf Guthrison has Guthrison. just taken it all straight at once. And poor old Edmund, he's yeah. only been there for a year and he's lost half his kingdom. Right. Which isn't a very promising start. No, he sounds rubbish. Where sounds, did he get the magnificent from? Sounds a bit rubbish. Well, luck takes a bit of a, uh, a turn for him. In fact, it could have gone really, really bad because actually if, I think they might even have agreed that if one of them died, the other one would inherit the whole kingdom. That's a um, that's a uh, hundred years wars situation. Mm. Yeah, we'll and get to that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, thankfully, Olaf dies first. Dies in nine four one. In fact, so only a year later, he's off campaigning in Northumbria, trying to take a bit more land. Mm. Dies. I'm not sure if he's killed in battle or if he just dies. But then there's an opportunity because he's got out of the way. There isn't really any other big important mm. people there. So Edmund does the reverse, big decisive campaign. Goes back in, takes the five boroughs. Uh, which is seen as something of the liberation. So the Anglo- Anglo-Saxon Chronicle does a poem celebrating oh, it. Makes so they're very happy about that. Does a little bit of fighting against the Welsh, as you do. <laughs> That's just a, a, a summer holiday. Yeah. I think that one should just go off and kick yeah. the Welsh. Well, you want to do some? Yeah, let's do the Welsh. Yeah. And then in 944, there are, again, a couple of Danish rivals who are less um, aggressive towards him, so he's sort of tolerating them as kings there. Uh, but then there's infighting between the two of them, which is Olaf, again, Strixen, mm. and a chap called Ragnall. So Edmund decides, rather than let this fight on and potentially go into a bit of a civil war, he just goes in, storms it, takes York back. What, so they were still in York? Yeah. I thought he'd taken it all back. No, he'd taken the, the five boroughs back. He hadn't York. York itself, yeah. Why did he stop outside York? Because these guys were not too anti-Edmund. They weren't too anti-him, and also York is... Sort of a stronghold as well, right, so it's a okay. bit of a bigger job. But now, in just three years, having lost it all in mm. one year, in three years, he's now gained it all back again. Okay. So very quickly, he's done everything that Edward and Athelstan achieved in sort of 30 years. He's done it all in five years. He's just got in it. reverse. Yeah, I think he had an easier ride, though. 
bit of an easy ride, but at the Been same time, having, having lost it, he did well to get it all back again quite quickly. It's like if you've if you've if you want to ski down Mount Everest, <laughs> impossible. If someone's done it before, it's a little bit easier. You know the path. <laughs> still, it's still impressive, but yeah. you know been done well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to discuss that a bit more uh, he also has a bit of a fun time in Scotland invades Strathclyde and uh, then rather than keeps that as part of his empire he hands it over to Malcolm King of the Scots mm-hmm. who's the new person in there but in return Malcolm agrees to support Edmund by land and sea so mm-hmm. it's sort of an agreement that you know you can have this bit of land but in return we're going to get a bit more support from you mm-hmm. And Scotland had previously been the place where any rebellious northern Vikings at Athelstan would mm. kick about. They'd just go off and hide in Scotland. Whereas right. now they're not allowed to harbour them anymore. So okay. a bit more of an alliance with Scotland yeah. and sort of policy of peaceful relations and safer borders. That's clever. Yeah, like that. yeah it's a good. bit more realistic as well. Whereas yeah. Athelstan just been, you know, expanding and yeah. whatnot. He's starting to think, OK, we need to manage this now. Yeah, I like that. So getting rid of strategic thinking and having had the difficult times with... Yeah, it's from that's his aunt. That's where he gets it. Is it his aunt? Ethelfed. Yeah. Yeah. Clever woman. Um, foreign affairs, he does a little bit more again. He sort of keeps the links that Athelstan had made in Europe. And again, this I'm not sure what's so special about Louis IV, but the, the Saxons seem obsessed with trying to put him back on the French throne. Really? So as Athelstan did, Edmund I also tries to get Louis IV restored to the French throne. He has a bit of a, bit of a, chunk, bit of a try at that. Okay. So did Louis, he, no Louis, success, though? Well, it's just early negotiations. He right. didn't do too much other than that. It didn't launch a French campaign at this stage. No, no. But nevertheless, you know, he's showing awareness outside of his borders. Yeah. And then another figure enters our story at this stage who's going to be an important character for the next few episodes. We need to introduce him now and remember who he is. Namely, a person called Dunstan. 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 Now Saint Dunstan, but at the time he was just Dunstan. Yeah. okay. Um... He studied under Irish monks at uh, the ruins of Glastonbury, and he was originally actually appointed to the court of Athelstan, but he became a bit of a favourite, and people got jealous of him and spread stories about him being um, involved in witchcraft and black magic. So Athelstan threw him out, and then he was literally thrown out and beaten and dumped in a cesspool. Poor chap. Yeah, it was a bit harsh. Yeah. harsh. I've definitely, no, I've definitely heard of this guy. Definitely heard of Dunstan. Definitely heard of this guy. He's important. Right, okay. Um, it was suggested he might want to become a monk. He wasn't too sure, so he thought, well, maybe God will show me a sign. Company car? Well, would have been good. Um, he actually contracted leprosy, <laughs> which I suppose in Saxon times was maybe the equivalent. Oh, dear. Although it's been suggested that maybe it was blood poisoning caught from the cesspool. <laughs> okay, but he thought it was yeah. leprosy at the time. Okay. And for some reason that means that he was meant to be a, a monk. I'm not sure why, but mm. he decided that leprosy was a good sign. Yeah. Religious orders for me. Fine. So for a little bit he lived a life as a hermit in Glastonbury. Apparently he had a special harp that he used to play. I'm not sure. It's something about the wind powering it. Or right. something. Sort of not wind chimes, but some kind of wind-powered harp. Guy sounds amazing. And yeah, well apparently he, he was then very popular because allegedly he resisted temptation by the devil who popped in to try and tempt him a bit. Mm. And uh, held him at bay with some tongs. I didn't get any more specific about what these tongs were, but it just said his tongs. Uh, he sounds, it definitely sounds like he's on drugs or something. <laughs> he's there playing his harp, covered in, you know, stuff, yeah. and holding off someone with a, with a pitch, with some tongs, saying it's the devil. It is suggested in other writings that he was in fact mad. Yeah, well, yeah. But, uh, 944, he gets called to Edmund's court, 
and again he's made made into a minister. But yet again, these jealous people or people that think he's completely mad um, convince Edmund that he's bad and he should kick him out. So he does. He sends him away again. He sends. So it does sound very enigmatic. Everyone seems to like him at least. Uh, like him and hate him <laughs> straight away. Edmund then goes off hunting near uh, Cheddar Gorge, yeah. Gorge even, yeah. and then there's he's pursuing a stag. Then he comes up to this uh, precipice, this cliff, and the stag running just falls off. The hunting dogs then after the stag also fall off, and Edmund is heading straight at this cliff at pretty high speed, thinking, oh, this could be it. So he makes a vow to himself and says, if my life is spared, I'm going to make amends for the bad treatment that I did to poor old Dunstan. And his horse just pulls up, just in time. So straight thing he does, he brings back Dunstan, makes him the abbot of Glastonbury, and uh, together they start to uh, promote some ecclesiastical reform. Yeah. And he's particularly interested in the Benedictine practice of monkness, which I didn't quite look up in enough detail, but it becomes predominant later on, thanks to Dunstan. And you'll it's the kind of thing. Black. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you see in like Cadfile in the Name of yeah. the Rose and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. It becomes the predominant thing. Anyway, so Dunstan is now here. He's with uh, Edmund and together Psychic. doing a bit of government. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, so ecclesiastical reform. Um, he also regulates blood feuds. So he prohibits um, any attacks on someone except the slayer. So he's trying to stop families being at war with each other. Right. Okay. This yeah, is back yeah, to yeah. now, not Dunstan yeah, doing yeah. that stuff. And also a thing called Hammerskin, which is the crime of attacking a man in his own house. Apparently it's only at this point that that becomes a law. <laughs> wow. So previously okay. you could just yeah. saunter in. Yeah. Him about him. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Not anymore. Right. Out of that house, sir. Uh, yeah. There's a law against a lock us. on that door. Yeah. And also public order he's quite keen to promote, so preventing theft and cattle rustling. Bit of an issue at the time. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, nine four six now. He's been there for seven years. He's got his country's back now, he's got all the boroughs and York and everything. He's got his Dunstan chap in, mm. he's doing some laws. And then there's um twenty sixth of May, Saint Augustine's Day, which is an important he was a guy that made Christian and Christianity back for the Saxons. Yeah. They're having a big feast of this. And then they notice a person called Leofa, who was apparently a uh, an infamous thief who had been exiled. But for some reason he was here in this uh, in Puckle Church in Gloucestershire, which is where he was feasting with all his courtiers. Right. So Edmund demanded that this man be removed from court. So people try to move him out. There's a bit of a struggle. And then I'm not quite sure whether Edmund just goes in brazenly thinking, oh, I'll throw out this person, or allegedly that he was attacking one of his thanes, one of his sort of friends. And so Edmund got in to try and stop him. Unbeknownst to Edmund and everybody else there, the uh, infamous thief Leofa was also concealing a dagger upon his person, at which point he stabs Edmund in the stomach, and he dies pretty much instantly. So for a fight... With a beggar, or a, not a beggar, a thief, Edmund I is dead at just 24 years old. Wow. Well, what I want to know is, what had this thief stolen for the King of England to know who he was? Well, I'm, I, I'm not really sure why he recognises him. I suppose maybe he was a noted thief. Maybe... This is really good. Yeah, really good. Or sold something really big. Maybe a dagger. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I suppose that he would have been a bit more aware to the, the problem. Yeah. But yeah, oh, that, shame. Okay, it's all gone. Twenty-four years old, height of his powers, yeah. and he's dead. And this is quite a good thing to show just how dangerous it is to be alive at the Saxon mm. period, because even the king, surrounded by all his nobles and his bodyguards and everybody, gets yeah. stabbed by 
Some random thief, thief at a yeah. dinner. Yeah. It's, all, that's, it's pretty stark. Mm. So I don't think you'd want it to be a peasant at this time. I think you'd just get killed all well, over the place. In your own home. Well, yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. anymore. Not anymore. Well, was he at home? Well, I suppose he wasn't, so maybe it wasn't... Yeah. <laughs> there's no law probably, against that. People just went on your way, sir. Go yeah. and do some more thievery. Yeah, so that, so that was it for Edmund I. He's dead. Well, really, he was pretty 24. good. He was pretty good. But it's all over. So, um, we better move on to review. Yeah, fine. Okay. Battleliness! Uh, all right. Yeah, so, I mean... But, just so we, we never tell people this. We do this by... We each give them ten points and then... Purchase score out of 20. Yeah. So, yeah, so Battleliness, as you say, initially he's taken off guard, loses loads and loads of land to Olaf uh, Guthrison, and then pretty bad peace treaty that gets mm. out of that. Mm. But then the next few years, he gets all back very, very Just quickly. all back, that's pretty good. Pretty good. You but know, a, a, re- a bad king at this stage would have just lost the land and never got it back. And he, he gets it back almost instantly. And we're almost forgetting the... Um... How powerful the Vikings were! If you if you gave an inch, they'd take a mile. So if you yeah. if you did go for that treaty, the chances are that you'd lose more the next year. So that, I suppose that was good to push it right back. Mm. And I don't know if you count this within it or if it's more subjectivity. But as we're saying in Scotland, there's signs that he's maybe a bit more realistic about he's going to manage his borders from now on. So rather than being yeah. antagonistic to everybody, yeah. starting to set up treaties with other kings and. You know, if he'd had another 10, 20 years, maybe then you could have really seen him consolidate yeah. what he'd got. So he was starting to show promise in how he was But we can only judge him on what he did, I suppose. But we can only judge him on what he did. What are the notable battles, then? Any? There isn't really a notable battle as such. There's just that it's campaign. Just, yeah, it's just a campaign where he takes it all back. Mm. Okay. Which was good. Which was good, yeah. No failures. No Except loss. the initial... Initial, yeah. 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 <laughs> when he, yeah, yeah. he isn't defeated, actually, Battle the Fair. They aren't actually... In battle to be no, able to just, defend these cities, it's just taking before they can yeah. get an army into the field. Exactly, and he's busy doing up his shoelaces. Really, when it happens, he's not. Yeah, um, he's only seventeen. He's not really. Um, he's not ready. No, he's not ready. Got no. with uh, pants down. Um. Uh, yeah. A score. The, a score. I would say five. Five. I'll tell you why. Yeah. Do please do. Um. Now. It wasn't. It was. It was a success all round, generally, yeah. other than that initial bit. But you know, so he he saw the lay of the land and got it all back eventually. But there's no huge battle that we can really go. That was impressive. No. It was. Um, it was restoring back to where it was before. Yeah. Um, I think it's just it's just fairly neutral. I say it's a five, but it was successful. It's a five. It's a five. Yeah. I'm going to give him five and a half. Just to put him on that positive side, because I think ultimately to have got it back so quickly deserves deserves a little bit of credence. Think of Everest. So, well, yes, there's Everest, but you know, I, I think maybe when the second man comes down from Everest, I'll be a bit more supportive, maybe, of his efforts. I'd go. Well done. Do you follow the same route? <laughs> you go. Yes, I did. Okay, still jolly impressive. Five out of ten. <laughs> that's that's eleven. And, no, ten and a half. Out of twenty, so you know it's it's all right. It's good. It's not great, but it's all right. Mm. Scandal. I no. can't see any. Well, the only thing that I did manage to find was that when he was uh, fighting in Strathclyde, apparently he had the two sons of the Strathclyde king blinded, which was seen as a bit harsh. I 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't I, know what it is because there was that plot to blind apple stand as well. So I don't know what yeah. it is that the Saxons have about blinding people. Yeah. And not just killing them. Especially when all you can see is mud. <laughs> 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 not missing much, mate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've no. That's fine. I reckon that's pretty legitimate thing to do in those days. Yeah. Um. And that is literally the only bit of scandal I've managed to find because he just wasn't there long enough to be scandalous. No, I mean, he when he was having dinner when he got killed, maybe there was a no. There's nothing. I've I mean, got yeah, he got into a brawl with a thief, with a thief <laughs> but, but he was trying to do something honourable, apparently. Yeah, probably. Theory. I'm going to think. Oh yeah. Um, I'll give him one in case there was something that I don't know about, but that's all I'm going. <laughs> I think yeah, I think I'd give him one as well because they're. It's yeah. a family podcast. We need we need to we need to leave. <laughs> we need to leave the noughts for the Edward confessors of this world. I think. Okay. So one and a one. So that's a two, which I think is our lowest ever score for scandal. Yeah. It is even even Alfred managed better than that. I don't know whether the elder only got two, but then again he was too busy just fighting all the time. Mm. This is the problem for a battling king: no time for fun and frivolity. Yeah, or yeah, brutal yeah, massacres yeah, of yeah. innocent people. Until we get on to Richard Lionheart, he was pretty. Oh, there'll be plenty more before yeah. that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Subjectivity. Pretty good. Yes, I mean, initially loses lands, but he gains them back, and mm. that's as seen as something of liberation by the Saxons, because they didn't really like the slightly harsher Vikings when they came in. The Anglo Saxon Chronicle writes a victory poem about it, which is what they do when they see something as being quite important. You can't get beaten up in your home without a law now. No? Yeah, and your cattle aren't going to get rustled by someone who decides to do something outside Seriously. your home rather than inside it. Yeah, and starting to get more... the religious stuff back in. Yeah, which I suppose is progressive. Yeah. So yeah. you know, he's, he does. Yeah. He has some stuff in, and not very long. You consider Edward the Elder did pretty much nothing for mm. a very long time except fighting. Edward the Elder's, um, sorry, Edmund the First has managed to do some stuff. But at the same time, it's not a lot of stuff. Because he he's not there long yeah. enough. 5.5, your reasons for the battliness. It's, there's, it's there. If given more time, I reckon he'd have done... But we can't judge it like that. We can only judge on what was there. It's the difficult thing. This is the first one we've had where it's been a king who hasn't been there for very long. Because yeah. everybody else has had at least about 15 years. Yeah. And there's a lot to do. This is the first king we've had so far where it hasn't just been... A constant tale of upwards success all over the place, there for 20 years. Lots of stuff. This guy's 24, he could have been there for another 20, 30 years. Mm. He's been cut short. It's a new thing for us. 5.5. Five, five, five. I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to give him 5. <laughs> so it's still 10.5. Well, that's, that's fine. That's exactly it. Just the positive side of neutral. Yeah. Longevity. Rubbish. Yeah, seven years. That's, yeah, that's abysmal. Not very long at all. I mean, mm. he was 17 when he took over. He could have expected a long time. Yeah, he was probably going for a record. But, you know, not his fault. Not entirely his fault, no. And he was mm. trying to do the, the decent thing. Yeah. And uh, he was unlucky. Very unlucky. Because, I mean, if that thief hadn't been there, if someone else had done Turned something up. about someone else it, had got the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To the Christmas ball or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Very bad. But as it is, only seven years. Dynasty. Not the programme. Uh, he does actually manage to get some of this in, despite not being there for very long. He's, he does uh, he does produce, as ah. it were, a bit of dynasty. He has two sons and a daughter. Okay. So uh, three children. 
and both of the sons become king. Pretty good. So he does actually really quite impressively, mm. considering so that he's only a servant. three and seven years. Three and seven years. He marries um, originally a woman called Al-Gifu of Shaftesbury, with whom he has all the children, and she dies in 944, and then he marries a woman called Ethelfed of Dalaham, not mm. to be confused with the mm. one we've discussed before, yeah. but they don't have any children. However, interesting things here, the Ethelfed of Dalaham, her sister, Elflaid, marries Britnoth, who's the Saxon oh, leader Jean of Malden. Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> And um, Al-Gifu, his first wife, gets venerated as a saint later on. Oh, very good. And the Saxon women are going to start to play an important role now, because generally they haven't done up till now, other than Ethelfled. Um, indeed, there was one historian who said that to marry into the West Saxon ruling family in the 9th century was to sink into obscurity. Because mm-hmm. basically the kings, they didn't always necessarily marry um, the person that they were with. Hence, we have the, sort of the concubine issue like mm-hmm. we had with um, Athelstan. We have it with other people as well. They don't necessarily marry, because if you marry then that means that this is a queen and she's probably consecrated and it's a bit difficult to do anything about her. To get out of... Well, yeah, so yeah. instead what they do is just... You, you Well, no, they would just get rid of them. they just divorce them. Or if they weren't married, they wouldn't have to divorce them. They'd just get off with somebody else. But the church wasn't very happy about it. Yeah. And uh, I imagine the wives weren't particularly happy about it either. But basically the kings could just pick them up and ditch them as and when was expedient. Yeah. So as such, wives weren't too important. But because now we've got the boy kings... So we have young kings rather than well-established military leaders. The wives then become the mothers. And because they've got young kings, they start to have a bit more of a prominent role. So they also then have a vested interest in their son's interest in protecting them. So for the next few years, we said Eidgifu is Edmund's mother. And he's also there. she's also therefore mother of the next one, which is Edred, who is oh, another brother. Oh, she's really building up some... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if she lives for a long time, then, you know, she could be grandmother, eventually, mm. to the king. So she starts to become quite the central player mm. in the field. And we actually see that the Saxon women are going to start to have quite a big impact on all the stuff that happens. Good. Well... But, of course, the final question is... Do they? No. In this instance, it's Edmund the First. We have, have one final question. The Rex Factor! No, we. No, I mean, he, he again. He could have done. He could have been an amazing king if he'd had, you know, thirty years of picking up from where he left off. Yeah, could have been excellent. Could have really strengthened the kingdom. Ruled well with justice alongside Dunstan and his mum. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm really struggling to come up with um, any other analogy other than a mountain today. But <laughs> like last week. Um, uh, Athelstan, he was there, he was, you know, he just got to the top, he was at the top, sort of breathing heavily. Nonsense, uh, I mean, well, if you hadn't put Athelstan on, I, my uh, word. Well, this guy, he's at the foot of the mountain, he's making, he's running up, but he falls right over. That's he's it. basically, he's bought all the equipment he needs, he's yeah. got the best Sherpa in the business. Yeah, all the gear, no he's idea. He said, hey, look, I see this really easy route, I can just go up it. Because someone else has been down before. Yeah, and he's yeah. Like, I'm just going to go straight up there. And he starts to run, but he trips on a rock. And, yeah. Cook. Bumps his crown. And uh, off he goes. Yeah. So sadly, I think I have to agree, it's a no, no. for Edmund the First. He could have done, but that's what happens if you get killed. <laughs> that is. That's that the is lesson, lesson of Rex Factor so, learned. If you're listening, Edmund, we have more, more work needed. So no Rex Factor for Edmund the First. That means two in, Alfred and Athelstan, two out. Yeah. Um, and that's it. So next week, it will be Edmund's younger brother, Edred. 
who will be our next king. I've got a sneaking suspicion on the result of him. Well, you never know. Mind you, you never I've never heard of Athelstan. <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> and yeah, so we'll see if he can fare a little bit better and last a little bit longer than Evan the First. Good. But until then, goodbye Cheerio. for me. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.